Well, you know, we've been in this I am series and studying who Jesus is and the statements of Jesus and the I am statements of Jesus in particular. And a couple of weeks ago, Jeff launched, Pastor Jeff launched the series by saying, Jesus claimed to be the I am and identified himself with God and as God, he claimed in effect to be Yahweh in the flesh. And then he made this statement that stuck with me. He said, so if you're on a search for God, when you meet Jesus, your search is over. Those of you who were here that week, you might remember that statement. And then last week, Ben preached on the, uh, the idea that I am the bread of life. And here's a little bit of what Ben said last week. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a meal, you've looked forward to a meal and you eat it, and, uh, and it's so fulfilling and so it satisfies every part of you, and you're like, this is great. And then like an hour and a half later, you're like, I could really go for some ice cream or whatever. You know, like, it's like this momentary thing. It's great, and then it's kind of gone. Well, this morning, we're going to look at this idea that Jesus, uh, that, that for all of us who hunger for satisfaction, that Jesus is the bread of life. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You're not going to need ice cream after you eat this meal, because my bread satisfies everything, satisfies all longing. It's a food that satisfies our soul. And this week we'll look at yet another I am statement and answering the question, who is Jesus? Or responding to the statement, Jesus is. This week, it's sort of a two-fold metaphor, where Jesus, in the same context, claims to be two different things, but he's really trying to emphasize one idea, explaining one thing he said by the second thing. He says, I am the gate. And then in the same context, almost without taking a breath, he says, I am the shepherd, the good shepherd. And we want to look this morning at what's going on in this statement from John chapter 10. Would you stand for the reading of the New Testament? Now, just a warning to uh, the slides team back there. We've got the whole text up there. I'm going to be jumping a little bit ahead and skipping some of that. So I hope I don't throw you off too much. Uh, too much by that, but you can keep up, I'm sure. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech but they did not understand what he was telling them. And then I'm going to jump again ahead because in verse 7, for the next handful of verses, since they didn't understand, he simply repeats, coming from a little bit different angle, repeats what he's already said. And then he jumps to the second piece of the metaphor. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters 
The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And then again, he repeats that. I am the shepherd, the good one, he says. And then he jumps down to verse 17 and explains something very critical for identifying a good shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay it down only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord or of my own initiative. I have authority to lay down my life and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews to whom he was speaking were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed, he's raving mad, why listen to him? Excuse me. <clears throat> but others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? May God add his blessing to his holy word, his fully inspired message to us. Go ahead and take your seats. Now Jesus offers these two statements, and then he has this statement at the end about the blind. What's that about? What's going on in this text? Well, let me help you make sense of that. We didn't read the very end of chapter 9. But in context, in chapter 9, we have the record of Jesus encountering someone who was begging and who was blind and had been blind from birth. And in that uh, town, people knew him. They had seen him begging and knew his story. He's blind from birth. They've never seen him anything but blind. And Jesus encounters him, and Jesus brings healing to his body, and this man who had been blind from birth, all of a sudden, as an adult, gets his sight. He can see. And this healed man now goes, as he's supposed to do, and reports to the elders, the Jewish leaders, that he's been healed, and he's going to give glory to God. But the Pharisees who received the report are cynical about the healing. And because they're uncomfortable with Jesus. There's an insecurity there with the leadership and the popularity and the effectiveness of Jesus. And so they respond not so well. They respond negatively. You didn't really get healed by Jesus. This man is a demon-possessed man. And, and, and give glory to God instead and so on and so forth. And that's where, and the guy says, look, uh, that's interesting to me that you are the, the leaders of Israel and you don't know who it is that healed me, really. You, you really can't identify him, and you couldn't heal me, but he could. And look, deal with this. All I know is this. I was blind, now I see. Be cynical with that. Disprove that question. I was blind, and you saw me every day for all these years as blind. You've known me from birth as blind, and now here I stand. I can see you. Got a little something on your nose there. You know, I can see you. That's all I know. So the man, they kick him out. The man goes and re-encounters Jesus in chapter 9. And we're having, they're having a private conversation, but it's sort of semi-private because others, of course, are listening in, standing around them. Jesus addresses the blind man. They have a very warm conversation. But there are some Pharisees listening in, overhearing to this guy, and we, uh, overhearing the conversation with this guy. And we see at the end of chapter 9 the record of that conversation and the people who overhear him. And Jesus makes statements that imply that the blindness in this community goes well beyond those who can't see. And the Pharisees who hear Jesus say that are a bit indignant. 
because they kind of get the picture that Jesus is actually calling them out and challenging them. And they end chapter 9 with this question. Surely you don't mean to imply that we are blind too. They probably had a little of this body action going on. We're the rulers of Israel. We're the, uh, of the Jews. We are educated. We are spiritual leaders. Surely you don't mean to go so far as to identify us with this blind man and imply that we are blind too. And then when we jump into John chapter 10 and we hear him say, I am the gate, I am the shepherd, the good shepherd, all of that is spoken to the blind man that Jesus healed, but it's also spoken to the Pharisees and it's there, his answer to them, to that statement, surely you don't mean to imply that we are blind too. And so that's how Jesus, it makes sense for Jesus to be talking about blindness at the end of that text. This is really a teaching about blindness and just how blind people can be. Because in response to that statement, which is a question really, Jesus gives pretty bold answers. And we've just read them. He says in effect, oh, oh, you are you are actually so blind, and then they might have had that thought in their mind, how blind are we? But he, you are so blind, and here's the first thing he wants to imply by the way he answers the question, by his statement about him being the gate. It's as though Jesus is saying, and the blind man that was healed is hearing, you are so blind that you can't see that I'm the very person you've been teaching about all your lives. I'm standing right in front of you, doing miraculous works right in front of you, teaching from the scriptures right in front of you, and you are so blind that you can spend your whole life, an entire career, teaching about Messiah, and when he shows up, you miss him altogether. That's how blind you are. Well, where does he say that? His answer is this. I am the gate. I'm the way in and the way out. And you're about helping people find Messiah and be reconciled to God, have sins forgiven, going through the whole temple ceremony of sacrifices and knowing that there's sin in the camp and, and judging people for not keeping the law. And, and you're looking for this great Messiah and the Messiah shows up and you miss him. In fact, you oppose him. He says... I am the gate. In other words, I'm the gate you've been teaching about. And Jesus speaks it in Aramaic, but the translators in the Greek, which is what we have from which we translate our New Testament, understood him to be saying, I am not just a gate, I am the gate. In, in the Greek language, the lack of a direct article is not anything big, no big deal. I'm a gate, they just leave it off. I'm a gate. Doesn't, they don't mean anything that much by it. But to place it is a big deal. To place the gate is a very strong statement. So Jesus is clearly saying, and he's conscious of the fact, he's clearly saying, look, th there's only one gate through which you come to be reconciled to God. And it's not your gate of laws and rules and guilt tripping and weary faith. I am the gate. I am the gate. And there's no other gate. 
Whatever we think of the statement of Jesus in this I am statement, we have to admit we cannot get around the fact that at least he understood himself to be the exclusive, exclusive answer to the question, how can we be made whole again and have a, have a broken relationship with our Father good again, fixed again, healthy again? He's saying, by me and that's it, through me and that's it. No matter how well-intentioned, this is the gate through which you must walk. That's what Jesus understood himself to be. So according to Jesus, Jeff's statement of a couple of weeks ago, if you're searching for God, when you find Jesus, your search is over. According to Jesus, Jeff was right. He's affirming a couple of weeks ago what Jesus taught. Now, you may not agree with what Jesus taught. You may not agree with what's being presented here. The exclusivity of Christ is sort of the official term for it. But that's the concept over which many people stumble. Aren't there many ways to God? How arrogant it is for you to say, Jesus, your way is the only way. All we're trying to do is say is we understand Scripture as far as we can discern it, and how could you miss this? At least Jesus understood himself to be the way, and that's what we're presenting, and that's what we believe. With humility and kindness... Because even Jesus loved and had great friendships with and walked carefully and tried to have conversation with people who disagreed with him. And so should his church. But Jesus presents himself as the answer, the gate. There's another way that these guys were blind, and we want to make sure we don't represent their blindness in our own lives. You're so blind that you can't see that I'm what you've been teaching about all your lives. I'm the gate. And it's as though Jesus is also saying, you've been advocating for Messiah and in effect rejecting Messiah at the same time. Advocating and rejecting at the same time. You've been basically saying, look for Messiah and then don't find Messiah all at the same time. You know, many people are setting their eyes on the right goal, the goal of encountering God, searching diligently for God, but walking through the wrong doors to find Him. Right right destination in mind, wrong route. Because some journeys look like faith, but they really are not at all what they look like. They lead to nowhere. My friend sent me, a friend of mine sent me this picture this week on uh, on Facebook. He says, it might be the evilest carpet I've ever seen. It's in the middle of a hallway and there's this carpet laid down. It looks like it's a stairway to some place, but it's actually just a carpet. Because some, if you want to go downstairs, you've got a good idea. But if you try to do it there, it's the wrong means to get there but it looks like the right means to get there. Right destination, wrong route. Advocating for Messiah and rejecting him at the same time, sometimes we do that, and that's part of what made Jesus realize that these guys are blind, and he tried to express it to them. I am the door, the door, and you've been advocating for me and rejecting me almost in the same breath. That's how blind you are. That's the point he's making. There's a second point 
he's trying to bring out because he offers the idea that I am the gate, but then he moves because they didn't understand what he was talking about. Okay, let me state that another way with another metaphor. I am the shepherd. And he says, I'm not only the shepherd, because they would have all seen themselves as shepherds of the faith. The Pharisees would have the leaders. Shepherds of the faith of Israel, the leaders of Israel. He said, I'm not just the shepherd, I'm the good shepherd. And again, grammatically, we have a hint for how strong that statement was because Jesus says, the Greek translator says, I am the shepherd and then the good one. Not, it's not laid out like it's laid out in English. I'm the shepherd and then to make an exclamation point, the good one right after it. Two direct articles. I'm the shepherd, the good one. And he draws this distinction between shepherds who are crummy shepherds because not all, there are shepherds and there are shepherds. That's what Jesus is trying to say. And shepherds who are good shepherds. There are some that are blind and some that aren't. You're so blind, he would say, that you can't see what God values in a shepherd, what God values in a spiritual leader. And he speaks of hirelings. Remember that? The hireling, the rented servant, doesn't own the sheep. So when that's, that shepherd's life is at risk, he cut, cuts and runs. But the owner of the sheep stays and lays down his life for the sheep. So the hireling is a soiled leader, according to Jesus. They'll lead until it costs them too much, and then they have no interest in staying with the flock. The hireling is a different kind of leader because the sheep exist for the benefit of the shepherd to the hireling. And Jesus refers to these harshly as thieves. You're stealing. Leaders who are trying to get to the sheep by hopping the fence instead of coming through the gate. In Ezekiel chapter 34, listen to how, how uh, strong this language is. Different context, but still talking about shepherds and a challenge to those who aren't caring for the sheep. The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, and it just goes on and on and gets even more challenging from there. You are so blind, Jesus says, that you don't even see what a good shepherd is while you're trying to be shepherds, the hireling. And then Jesus says, but in contrast, I am the shepherd, the good one. And the word he uses there uh, is one that implies not only effective shepherd leadership, but uh, identification with the sheep. There's well, it's a well-intentioned heart toward those that he's leading. It's a shepherd whose primary motive is the protection of the sheep and the sheep's lives, even above his or her own life, which is a great challenge to the Pharisees who are hearing it because they're doing the opposite. They're more, Jesus identifies them as thieves. These are the religious leaders of his time, and he's just looked right in the eye of those leaders and said, you are thieves, pseudo-shepherds, fakes. You don't even know what good leadership is. That's how blind you are. 
They're not feeling real good toward Jesus right now. And in contrast, there's me, they would hear him say, the good shepherd, the protector of the sheep. You think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Talks about walking through the valley, the shadow of the valley, the shadow of darkness and fearing no evil. Why fear no evil? Because I'm following my good shepherd and he cares for me. He'll protect me. Psalm 95, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, shepherd language, the flock under his care. That's the way a good shepherd sees the sheep. Isaiah 40, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. This is a beautiful picture. And carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. You have that Maybe you've seen the picture. It's an old picture. I don't know where it, start, where it originated, but that idea of you have this little lamb over the shoulders of Jesus. Now, it's a white Jesus with blue eyes, so it's not a great picture of Jesus, but, but the idea that he's carrying the lamb. Do you see yourself as that? Do you see him as that kind of a shepherd? Because that's what he claims. And there are leaders who can't see that God values that tender, caring, servant leadership. And they try to lord it over the people. And Jesus is saying, you guys are so blind that in fact, yes, you're a mess. I am saying, you're blind. You're as blind as this fellow right here used to be, except your blindness is in your soul. And then at the very end, Jesus identifies the primary difference between the good shepherd and the bad shepherd. He said, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And he didn't have to. Nobody took it from me. It may look like they did, but I laid it down on my own initiative. I did that on my own accord. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up. And he did both. When he gave himself for the cross and lifted up his life again in resurrection. Commentator Barclay puts it this way. He is an example of the un Jesus, an example of the unceasing vigilance and patience of the love of God toward his sheep. Certainly you don't mean to imply that we are blind too. And his answer is, I am the gate. You've been slamming the gate shut on everybody that came to it. And I am not only a shepherd, the good shepherd. And you're so blind that you can't see what a good shepherd is. Yes, in fact, I do mean to say that you're blind. But then he must turn back to the man that had formerly blind and was now healed. Because remember, he's there listening to all of this. Primarily, he's the one in the conversation with Jesus. Everybody else is just sort of fallout conversation. And he speaks to him in my mind and encourages him. And in so speaking to that blind man, well, no longer blind, he speaks to us in these two metaphors. I am the gate and I'm the good shepherd. I got you. Did you, Lisa, did you put up the picture of the shepherd in the gate? Did you see that? This is what used to happen. The shepherds would, 
there's several shepherds and they would let their flocks feed in the daytime, but then they had sort of a shepherd's coalition and so they built these corrals. They were community corrals. And at night when the sheep might be more at risk, they would all come together and put all their different flocks in the same corral and they could hang out there at night. And then when the shepherd that had his flock in there needed them early in the morning, he would go in and he would call them, sometimes by name. And only those lambs that were his would recognize his name. None of the rest would come, but they would all come out. And then there was one shepherd who guarded the gate. They would literally lay down in the gate and the shepherd became the gate. Nobody got into that corral except through that shepherd. No animal that was looking for its next dinner got into those sheep without first devouring that shepherd. And he would fight them. Not a hireling. A hireling would vacate and split. But here's the shepherd caring for his sheep. And the Lord wants to have us and the people who are hearing the initial conversation understand the depth of that love and to see what a real shepherd looks like and to see that he is the gate. And he speaks to us. And I think there are some questions we can dwell on today. Here's one. And he might have, he might have had a conversation with that man who was born blind around this. It's a question of, do you feel sometimes like the shepherd has vacated the gate and all the wolves have been led into your life? Do you feel like you're going down? Do you feel like you're going down and week after week after week it's a battle and you feel unguarded and unprotected? Jesus would want to remind you who sits in the gate of your life. He would want to remind you that you're on the same ship that he's on. He's on the same ship you're on. And to put it not so perfectly in regard to my English, you're only going down if he goes down and he ain't going down. He's in the gate guarding your life. And that doesn't mean there aren't going to be some people who hop the fence and some situations that hop the fence and try to scatter the sheep and make it look as though there's nobody in the gate, but he is in the gate, and he wants to emphatically remind us of that. I am with you. I'm not the kind of shepherd that abandons his sheep. No matter how alone you feel, how at risk you feel, I am with you. We will win this. So for the follower of Christ... We really could say, all blindness is temporary blindness. And then there's this second point, and I'll finish with this. Later on, four chapters later in John, Jesus makes a definitive statement. He's already really made one, but he makes it again. When he says, in answer to a question, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. What are we going to do? How are we going to get there? We don't know where we're going. You say we're going where you're going. We don't know where you're going. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nobody is reconciled with the Father except by means of my work, my, a relationship with me. There's, there's no other way. You can intend to be reconciled. You can go with the best of interest the best of intentions, try like, that you're not going to be reconciled to the Father except through my mercy that I give you. And the question is this. 
Are you ready to believe that statement? Have you been searching? And are you at a point where you could say, as unpopular as it is, as uneasy as I might be, saying, yes, I think Jesus knew what he was talking about, and I'm going to align myself with his statement, with his claims, with his teaching. Is it time for you to do that? And those who have already received Christ, in other words, have already become Christians as we would define them, are you tired of living as though that statement's not true? And are you ready to go deeper, to move closer to Christ, movement toward Christ, to believe in the Son of Man? Are you ready, in other words, to respond to what you see? The gate, the narrow gate. Not just a shepherd, a good shepherd. The kind that always acts in the best interest of the church. That's Jesus. Always in the best interest of his flock. Ponder those questions. I'm sure that man whose blindness was healed went away thinking things like that. And Jesus invites us to think like that too. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the answer to blindness. Dave Shear, come on up here with me for a second. And grab that microphone in the front seat here by, on your way up. Let's pray together. And then I'm going to ask Dave to send us off with a blessing. Would you stand? Now, Lord, would you take this teaching about the gate, the shepherd, and encounter us with them today as we eat lunch, as we have conversation with our families, or as we just sit in solitude and think. Where is my soul blind? Have I been moving toward the right, or desiring the right thing, but moving in the wrong direction to find it? Am I endorsing and rejecting you at the same time? Open my eyes. Maybe that's your prayer today. And now, Pastor Shear, would you send us off? So, uh, curiously, uh, about uh, two years ago, God decided to uh, render my right eye blind. I uh, had a stroke in my right eye. And uh, the nice thing about that happening is that you're really grateful for your left eye. <laughs> I went through a long time in my life without, without understanding how important my left eye was until I didn't have my right eye. And I would hope, I would bless you if I were Jesus and I could. I would bless you with the privilege of choosing to see Jesus before you don't have your right eye or your left. And then he has to work so much harder. This is your privilege today as a wonderful family of Christ. Is to respond to the hope that our eyes of our hearts can be enlightened. We can see Jesus for who he really is. And then we can lay down our lives before that very, very good shepherd. So I would, uh, I would send you out in joy and hope and peace and grace and mercy and the love of the very, very good shepherd. Amen.